we're gathered here today because we want to hear Jesus speak to us through his spirit. In fact, the prayer we've been praying for the last few weeks is, Father, send the Spirit to lead us, to guide us into the things of Jesus. Father, send the Spirit to guide us into the things of Jesus. That's been the prayer of our hearts because we know without the Spirit at work in our lives, that whatever Jesus has to say is just going to stay on the outside because the Spirit is the one who takes those things and makes them real in our lives. So we're listening to the Spirit today as He speaks to us. We're seeking on Him. Everything He says, we want to hear and we want to do it. We want to follow what He has to say. I don't know if you've seen the announcement yet. I hope you have that June 7th, that's not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, we will be back in person. Anyone who feels comfortable, we want to have you back in. We'll still be streaming it, so you'll be able to watch it in the same places you're watching it right now. But we want you to be here with us if you feel safe. We're going to make it as safe as possible. We're going to have plenty of hand sanitizer. We're going to have as many masks as possible. We're going to create a touchless experience where you don't have to come in and shake hands or hug people. I know you want to, but we're going to make it touchless so that we stay safe. So I can't wait to see you two weeks from today. We'll be right here face-to-face for the first time in like three months. That is wild. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip, turn, punch the button, whatever you got to do to get your Bible up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. So go ahead and get that up right now. We're in this, this message series called The Power. It's all about who the Holy Spirit is, what He wants to speak and do in our lives, and where He wants to lead us. So we're trying to go deeper in what it means to be close to God and have the power of God, the presence of God in our lives. So Acts chapter 1, picking up in verse 4, we're going to read a little bit here, so follow along. Uh, It says this, On one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples were ready for the earthly kingdom of Jesus to be established. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Now, can I just stop right now? That's weird, okay? It's okay to read the Bible sometimes and say things are weird. But when you have God in the flesh, Jesus, with you, then weird things start to happen. And Jesus was actually taken up by the Father in front of their eyes, and he disappeared in a cloud. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you taught us, what you said, and that we can still participate in the mission you have and what you've done to transform this world and transform our lives. I pray that you'd meet us in this place, meet us in this time, help us to grab hold of the truth you taught your disciples 2,000 years ago, and help us to live into the power that you promised to them and to us. I pray this in your name, Jesus, and everybody said...
Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to jump into the Word of God today because I always leave better when I listen to God's Word and when I let it change me. I want to talk about two types of people. Now, I love it when people say that because you always know they're going to oversimplify life just to make a point. Exactly what's going to happen here today. There are two types of people. There are the types of people who try to find their Christmas presents before Christmas Day and the type of people who are content and satisfied to wait so that the surprise can happen on Christmas Day. Real fast, we've got a few people here. Who who's, looks for their present beforehand? Any of you? A lot of self... Okay, some honesty right here. Lindsay, who was singing, says she looks for them. Do you find them? I pick them out. You, you, oh, you, she doesn't she look for them. She just picks them out. She finds them at the store. I know a lot of people, you, you, when it comes to Christmas, you want to know what you're getting. You know that it's supposed to be a surprise, but you don't care. You just can't wait. And this is why you stoop to low levels. You may be a 45-year-old man, and you are still looking through people's closets, <laughs> trying to find... Like, what other things in life do you look through someone's closets for? That's weird. That's creepy, okay? In the right context, that gets you arrested. And we still do these things... <laughs> to find our Christmas presents before. We are just really bad at waiting. The rest of us, the normal people, just wait until Christmas Day. But here's the reality of waiting. It's hard. Waiting is not easy. We don't like waiting. It's kind of built into us that we don't like to wait. A lot of us don't like to wait to eat some delicious food. A lot of us are really bad at dieting and really bad at self-control when it comes to our health because we don't like to wait. We just like to jump into what's in front of us. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Okay, Jesus has already risen from the dead. They know that he's the risen and reigning Lord of all creation. And he looks at them and his first thing he says is not, hey, go. The first thing he says is, wait. I want you to wait. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. He says this, Acts chapter one, verse four. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I want to talk about waiting today in a little bit different of a way than, than we normally think about waiting. A lot of times when we think about waiting, we think about patience. A lot of times when we think about waiting, we think of sitting around. If you're a single person here and you want to get married, a lot of you are thinking about, hey, I want to get married. I'm waiting on the right person. And it feels a lot like just sitting around hoping something happens. Maybe you're waiting on a new job and nothing's happening and you're just sitting around waiting. A lot of times we think of waiting as sitting around and not doing anything. But I want to reorient our minds that as we're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to baptize us, I want to talk about what waiting is. And here's the fundamental thing about waiting. Waiting is an expression of trust. Now think about it for a second. Like when you're waiting on something or someone, you're waiting because you actually believe it's coming. If you're waiting on something you don't think is coming, that's not called waiting. It's called wasting your time. But, but when you're waiting, you are expecting, it's like when you meet someone for coffee. And you, being the good friend, get there early. And you get everything ready. You bring some essential oils and you wipe down the table. And and these days, you bring an extra mask. And you just like, just in case they didn't have a mask, you want your friend to be protected. You bring some hand sanitizer. You create a whole health station, the doctor's office, at the table in the coffee shop. And finally, they don't show up yet, but finally it hits the time where it's, you know, they're supposed to be there. And you look down, and that's your meeting time, and they're not here yet. But you know what? You keep waiting. Why? Because you trust your friend's going to show up. Now, that might be misplaced trust. That might be, it might be a pointless kind of trust because they may never show up because they forgot. But, but you're trusting, you're waiting because you trust. Anytime you're waiting for something, it's because you believe that it is coming. And, and waiting is rooted in belief every single time. It doesn't matter if it's a human relationship or a relationship with God. Waiting is always rooted in belief. So when Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and wait, what he's asking them to do is to trust him. He's not saying go and wait and just forget about it and sit around. He's saying, no, I want you to go. I want you to do what I say, and I want you to trust me. 
a lot of us are in a time of waiting spiritually in our lives. We, we want God to bring his full transformation, but we're still wrestling with some sins in our lives, some habitual sins that we've been stuck in for a while. And we're ready for Jesus to free us. We're ready to be all that the Bible says we can be. And we're stuck in this period of waiting. And I want you to look at that waiting and not look at it and say, oh, this waiting is wasted time. That waiting, as you wait, you are expressing your trust in Jesus. Waiting is not wasted. Waiting is trust expressed in your life. And what are the disciples waiting for? And they're waiting for the promise of the Father. Now, isn't that weird that, that the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father? Like how many promises does God make in Scripture? Why does the Holy Spirit get to be the promise? You know, God makes a lot of promises. What, what lets the Holy Spirit say, I'm the number one promise of the Father? It, here's what it is. Every other promise of God is external in your life until the Holy Spirit makes it internal. Now, now listen to that. The Holy, the, the Holy Spirit takes what's on the outside and makes it possible to have internally. And so you don't have to put on a facade anymore. The Holy Spirit can actually make that truth present in your life. So the words of Jesus, listen to this, the words of Jesus aren't just a pipe dream anymore. The words of Jesus are actually able to be lived out in your life. Forgive someone 70 times 7, Jesus, that's 490 times, that's a whole lot. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, you can actually do that. When Jesus says that love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that's really hard to do. But when the Holy Spirit is bringing that thing that's external, internal, suddenly you can do it. That's why the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. So, so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to wait I want you to wait. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, how hard can waiting be? If I'm trusting Jesus, I just go, wait, how hard can it be? In fact, you might be thinking this. I've just spent the last two and a half months waiting. And at this point, you, you might actually have a PhD in waiting from Quarantine University. It's an online school. I don't know if you've registered yet, but you can get a free PhD. Very prestigious school, University of Quarantine. Get a free PhD today from the University of Quarantine. Why? Because we've been waiting. You're like, man, I'm an expert at that. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for everything to open back up. I'm just waiting to hug somebody. You may be thinking that right now. I just want to like, even if they didn't ask for it, I just want to like grab them and like put them in a headlock and just hug them. I'm not going to like go. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to come back June 7th to church and they're going to tell me not to hug people, but you're not going to be able to help yourself. Just one hug, you're going to slip it in. Like people will be back in like the back hallway giving each other hugs. It'd be super weird, okay? Because you're just like, you can't wait. Because you've been waiting for two and a half months. Like you've been waiting on so many things. You've been waiting to get to go back to your favorite restaurant. You've been getting waiting to get to see maybe some, some grandparents you haven't seen in a while. You've just been waiting. So you think, okay, I've got this waiting thing figured out. But, but here's the reality. Spiritually speaking, most of us are not willing to wait on God. A lot of us understand that waiting can be important, but we are not willing to wait. Here's what I mean. You see this in the Bible. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, the same chapter we just read, in verse 15, okay, they're, they're still there waiting in the upper room. It says there are about 120 people. Now, that's an interesting number, 120. So after Jesus lives his life for three years, he has at some points tens of thousands of people following him. He's a big deal. And then after he rises from the dead, there's only 120 people still gathered together. This is not the point of the message, but I want to encourage you. Maybe you've had some big things going on in life, and right now it seems like everything has stopped. In Jesus' life, he had big things going on, but by the end of it, when he went up to be with the Father, only 120 people left. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about this. A guy named E. Stanley Jones, great missionary, made this point recently, and it's captivated my imagination. 120 people in the upper room waiting like Jesus told them to do. 
But here's what's really interesting to me. In 1 Corinthians, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, chapter 15, verse 6, he says that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, appeared to 500 people. Now think about it. All right, the, the math doesn't work out. Cody here, who's just leading worship for us, you're a mathematician. What's 500 minus 120? Not to put you on the spot. Yeah. 380, there we go, 380. That means, listen to this, there are 380 people who saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead. They got to see the, the nail marks in his hand. They got to see Jesus who, who couldn't be held by a grave, who rose in power, and they weren't waiting. That's weird. That's, that's just a weird thing, is that a lot of people who know Jesus, had seen the risen Jesus, who believed in the risen Jesus, still weren't there waiting. What it tells me is that waiting's not easy. Waiting's not just sitting around. Waiting can be hard. Because when we wait, we often have to put whole parts of our lives on hold. I mean, think about this. The apostles who were following Jesus, his closest followers, many of them were from northern Israel, a place called Galilee. That's up in the north. They were Yankees in Israel. And they were down in Jerusalem while they were waiting, like Jesus told them to, in the south, God's country. And they were down there waiting. And, and, and so they had to put their lives on hold. Peter was a fisherman. He had to put his life on hold, come down. It says that one of them was a zealot who was like a rebel, wanted to fight people all the time. I had a chip on his shoulder. And he's putting his fighting on hold so he can be there waiting. Jesus appeared to 500 people and only 120 were waiting. You know, this has captured my imagination for really a big reason. We have about 120 people at Foundry Church. Now, what if we were to be the 120 people in our community who were waiting on the Holy Spirit, who, who were waiting on him to do all he wants to do, who are offering up our lives to him and saying, Spirit, come do something in our midst. I'm going to tell you, I, I preached a message really early on in the quarantine, and I said, we need to be like Mary, who was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. And so I've been trying to listen to Jesus a whole lot. I've, I've had a lot of extra time. I've been taking lots of long walks. And as I've been listening to Jesus, what he's been telling me is we as a church need to wait for the Holy Spirit. We need to have the Holy Spirit powerfully in our midst. And so where he's doing the heavy lifting and we just get to experience what he's doing and then give it to other people. We need to be a church of 120 people waiting for Jesus. A lot of people aren't. 380 people back then were not waiting, but 120 were. Can we be that 120? Can we be the people who wait? I want us to look at how the disciples waited. How did the disciples, the 120 of them, how did they wait? They didn't go and sit on their hands. Here's the first thing they did. And it's so easy to miss because it's a small detail, but often the small details show us what Jesus has for us. Here's what it says. In, in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait. Now you got to skip a few verses. Jesus goes up to heaven. The angels say, hey, he's going to come back in the same way someday. Jesus is going to return. And then it says the very first thing the apostles did after Jesus rose up to heaven, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. The very first thing they did after Jesus rose to be with the father is they obeyed the words he had just told them immediately obeyed. Jesus says, oh, I'm going to go up to be with the Father, go to Jerusalem and wait. And as soon as Jesus goes up, they go to Jerusalem and they wait. Jesus is looking for, listen to this, how do you wait? Jesus is looking for immediate obedience. Jesus is looking for you to, to identify the thing that he's asking you to do in your life and to immediately obey. 
immediate obedience is a lot different than how most of us operate. Now, I'm not I'm about to tell a story, of, give an example of parents. I'm not knocking anyone's parenting style. I'm just going to say this. I've had little kids kicking me in the shins before. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. One of the most frustrating things, you know, because, like, what do you do to a little kid and not look like a total jerk or go to jail for it? And the little kid's kicking me in the jail, and the parents are kicking me in the jail. Ooh, kicking me in the shins, <laughs> and the parents finally notice. And here's what the parents say. Hey, little Johnny, I'm going to count to three, and you better stop. Now, that's cool and all, but, like, He's still kicking me in the shins. One, two, shins, still getting kicked. Two and a half, two, two and a half, three. And little Johnny's figured it out by three, he stops. What do you call it when someone is delayed in their obedience? It's called disobedience. If someone doesn't obey immediately, that's a whole period of time where they are disobeying. Jesus, I know you're asking me to do that. I'm going to do it. I promise I'm going to do it. But like, give me a couple weeks to get my life together, Jesus. Jesus, I'm, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to love others like you told me to do. But I've got to get through quarantine, my mental health. I've got to take care of myself first before I serve you, God. I can't go serve you before I take care of myself. Let me tell you what. Jesus will take care of you as you follow him and obey him. And a lot of us are too caught up in trying to fix our lives on our own and not go to Jesus first and obey him, and we're stuck. You're going to be stuck in the same place six months, from, six months from now. Or maybe you move somewhere else, and you're going to be stuck in that place because you're not immediately obeying. Delayed obedience is disobedience. How did the disciples wait for the Holy Spirit to come? They immediately obeyed. They left everything behind them. They didn't go back to their jobs and back to their lives and back to their loved ones. They immediately went to Jerusalem where Jesus told them to go and they waited. A lot of you, there's spiritual power that Jesus is ready to give you through the spirit. And Jesus is waiting on you just to take a half step towards him. He's waiting on you to do that thing. He's saying, hey, I want you to love and honor your spouse even though you don't want to. You're waiting on them to love you back first in the way you think they should. I'm calling you to love and honor your spouse, period. Just do it. And if you delay in that, you're being disobedient. Jesus may be asking you, telling you that it's time to kick your porn habit once and for all. Get serious about it. You need to get a filter on your computer, on your phone, so you limit, cut off your access to it. And you're delaying in it. Later, I'm going to do it later. Jesus may be telling you to get off social media right now because you're wasting your life. You're comparing yourself. You're getting caught up in how others perceive you and not how God perceives you. And he's been telling you for a while, get off social media. Get off Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever you're doing. And you're saying, oh, Jesus, later. But i, I got to finish talking to this person first. You know, like we get, we're going back and forth. i got to keep my snap streak up, Jesus, before I get rid of that. And you don't obey him. Immediate obedience is the way you wait for the Holy Spirit to come and move in your life. Here's the second thing we see. So we see immediate obedience. That's how the disciples are waiting. The second thing we see is that they were unified in prayer. It says that they went, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, there's two things I want to pull out of this. The first is that they were joined together, the Bible says. The word here in the Greek is hamathumadon. Somebody say hamathumadon. Hamathumadon, that is something sounds like Dr. Seuss made up, but it's a Greek word. Hamathumadon here is, is talked to, it's, it's joined together is how it's translated. That literally, it means of the same spirit, of the same heart. In other words, you, you have the same heart, the same spirit as the other person who's with you. So the disciples come back and they are unified. What are they unified in? They are unified in the expectancy, in the waiting, in the hope that the promise of the Father is going to come into their lives. Man, what if we, just, oh man, think about it. Uh, this, this has been getting me over this quarantine. What if we were a church that was unified 
and seeking God's move in our midst? Like, what if we were a church that was daily praying for the Holy Spirit to be powerfully experienced, not just so we could feel good, but so that other people who feel like trash who walk into this church, who come into this chat right now, who are with us, they feel something different. And it's not just that we love them or we're nice or we're fun, it's that the Holy Spirit is powerfully manifested in our midst. And the disciples were unified in seeking that. The next thing we're told is that they were joined together, unified, constantly. In other words, they were, they were joined together, but, but they weren't just joined together for a little while. They were joined together constantly in prayer. That word constantly means ongoing. What it means more than just ongoing, though, is that it means perseverance. All right, so you're not just doing it over and over again, but even when it gets hard, even when you're unsure what happens, you persevere in it. Even when you have a disagreement with the person next to you you're praying with, you persevere through that. You stay unified in that. Even when you've been hurt, you persevere through it. You stay unified together, and you're unified, and you're persevering in prayer. As we seek the Holy Spirit in prayer, he's going to respond. We keep coming back and saying, God, we want you to pour out your spirit in our midst, not just so we can feel good, but so that you can transform our hearts, and then you can help us to reach out to other people. A lot of us treat God like he's Chick-fil-A. Now you think, oh, isn't God Chick-fil-A? Doesn't he produce wonderful things in our lives? Amen, he does. But here's what I mean. You walk into a Chick-fil-A. When I walk up, my typical order, if I'm not too hungry, is a number one with lemonade. And I go in and I order my number one with a delicious crispy chicken sandwich and the wonderful fries, and I get my lemonade and as soon as I ask for it, immediately it's there in my hands already. Like I'm already eating it. They, they serve it up so fast, it's just suddenly there. And, and then they say, my pleasure. And I always want to say, no, it's my pleasure. This is my pleasure right here. A lot of us come to God and we say, God, oh God, would you give me what I want? And you say, God, what, why is it in my hands right now? Chick-fil-A has better service than you, God. Why, why can't your angels put the blessings in my hand? We say, God, God, I want you to give it to me right now. What God says all throughout the Bible, Jesus says that we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, is that God expects and wants his people to come over and over and over again, to persevere in prayer, to be unified together, constantly seeking his presence, seeking his provision because we trust him. And it's often what God does in that process of us coming to him and saying, God, we need you. Please bring your spirit, bring your blessing, bring your provision, bring your transformation into our lives. It's when we do that that the Holy Spirit comes. The disciples immediately obeyed and then they were unified in prayer. Why? Because they were waiting. Remember, they were waiting because they trusted that something was coming. Because Jesus had said, you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. Jesus said, not you might be. He said, you will. So they immediately obeyed. And they were unified in prayer. And 10 days after Jesus said that, the Holy Spirit came on them in power. What if, what if we were a church? who in the quarantine, we haven't been wasting our time. We've been waiting for God to move. We have been immediately obeying. We have been unified in prayer. We've been praying, Father, send the Spirit 
to guide me into the things of Jesus. We've been praying for those around, of us, around us who are far off, who don't know God. We've been seeking God's presence, not just in our lives, but in the whole church. And when we come back together June 7th, when we come back, it's not just us coming back. It's the Spirit manifesting Himself in a powerful way. It's the Spirit present in our midst in a powerful way. Here's what I know. We need as a church, and many of us as individuals, need the baptism, the filling, the saturation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the way that comes is by us immediately obeying and then being unified in prayer. Come on, I want to invite you this week to immediately obey to immediately obey what Jesus is asking you to do. And then join together with your brothers and sisters. You may be physically far apart, but join together and pray and say, Holy Spirit, we need you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you to be in our midst. In fact, I'm going to pray right now. I want you to join me. I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to join me right now, wherever you are, wherever you're watching from. And I want you just to pray, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, come. Father, send the Spirit to guide me into the things of Jesus. Let's pray right now. Holy Spirit, we need you. As a people called Foundry, we need you. As followers of you, we need you to baptize us, to come in and saturate us with your presence. Father, send the Spirit to guide us into the things of Jesus. We need you, God. We need you. Without you, we hear nothing, and we just pray that your presence would come. We're going to wait like you instructed us to do. We're going to wait, but while we wait, we're going to obey. And while we wait, we're going to stay unified in prayer because we are trusting you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, and everybody said, amen.